How do you reimagine banking? You look at the way it's been and say, really? Time for something new. Capital One Cafes. Relaxed places with free Wi-Fi and banking advice without the double talk. Then you add free checking accounts with no minimums or fees and a top-rated, easy-to-use banking app. Welcome to Capital One, or as I like to think of it, banking reimagined. Stop by a Capital One Cafe or visit CapitalOne.com slash reimagined. What's in your wallet? Offered by Capital One NA member FDIC. Copyright 2015 Capital One. Blog Talk Radio. And good afternoon. This is I, Chuck Morse, here at Chuck Morse Speaks. Welcome to the program. As part of our ongoing history series, we're interviewing Robert T. Watson, Ph.D. He's published three dozen nonfiction books, two encyclopedia sets, three novels, and hundreds of scholarly journal articles, book chapters, and reference essays on topics in politics and history. Uh, Robert, his uh, recent books include The President's Wives, Affairs of the State, and America's First Crisis, which received the 2014 Gold Medal in History from the Independent Publishers Association. The book at hand this afternoon is The Nazi Titanic, the incredible untold story of a doomed ship in World War II. Robert, thanks for joining me this afternoon. My pleasure, Chuck. Thanks for having me on. Robert, you've uncovered a really fascinating story here, a little-known uh, chapter in the history of World War II. It uh, deals with events that occurred right at the end of the war when the Nazis obviously were losing and knew they were losing, uh, and his ship was scuttled deliberately, according to your research, uh, containing uh, prisoners. Talk about it, would you? Would you? Yeah, it's a bizarre story. You know, we we have chucked this belief that we know all there is to know about history, when in fact we there's more we don't know than we do know. Even for events as as pivotal and momentous as the Second World War or the Holocaust, there's still lots of secrets out there, and this is one of them. The um, uh, the the Nazis had a ship. The Germans had a ship uh, called the Cap Arcona, and in the 1920s and 1930s. It was the most celebrated ocean liner afloat. Uh, American actors like Clark Gable, European monarchs, uh, the world clamored to see the ship. It was built by the Germans to be the new Titanic. They even modeled it after the Titanic, and it looked like the Titanic, similar in opulence, size, fame, and although more technologically advanced. Um, what happened, of course, during the Second World War was the ship is no longer this celebrated ocean liner. It was put under the use by, uh, in the use by the Nazis. And Hitler and Joseph Goebbels, his propagandist, and other top Nazis considered this to be the pride of the Third Reich. Uh, they loved this ship. They used it to make the world's most expensive propaganda movie. Uh, they printed stories about it, took photos of it. So, uh, in other words, they wanted to show to the world, look what we did. Your Titanic sunk, but look at our Titanic. So it was kind of known as the Nazi Titanic, if you if you will. And what happens at the end of the war is, as it's apparent that uh, the, the Nazi empire is crumbling uh, in the winter of 1945, right at the end, Hitler issues this infamous liquidation decree. He wants to destroy all evidence of the Holocaust, the camps, the, the, the prisoners themselves, the records, the paperwork. And uh, one of the ideas was uh, to then, of course, destroy all the prisoners. Um, however, Heinrich Himmler, who uh, was the head of the SS Gestapo, Heinrich Himmler issues a, a somewhat countermanding 
decree. And what he says to concentration camp commandants is not kill everyone inside, but don't let anyone fall into the hands of the Allies. And he made his wording purposely vague. Why, if Hitler or if anybody realized that he was issue, issuing sort of a countermanding decree, uh, he had uh, plausible deniability. He could say, well, what I meant was kill everyone. Mm-hmm. But in fact, what he was trying to do was he wanted to save tens of thousands of Holocaust survivors so that he could do two things with them. One, he could exchange them to I- with Eisenhower in hopes of negotiating a separate surrender, conditional, not unconditional, on the West. Uh, that way the, Rus- the, the, the Germans could move their troops to the Eastern Front to stop the Russians, the Red Army. The second thing mm-hmm. Himmler wanted to do was exchange thousands of co- concentration camp prisoners for his own life. Uh, so right. the plan was is that commendation, uh, uh, commandants would march thousands and thousands of prisoners north to the Baltic. Now, the north-central Germany, the Baltic coast, was about the only place in Germany not overrun by the Allies. There, he could, he could organize thousands and thousands of concentration camp prisoners, and himself, they could board a ship and then go for the exchange or to save his life. And the ship that Himmler and others ordered to be brought to the Baltic coast was, of course, this Cap Arcona, this Nazi Titanic, this famous ship. Mm-hmm. And then the plan was uh, that he would, of course, board the ship and leave with the survivors. Uh, but at the end of the war, Hitler kills himself. Goebbels kills himself. Himmler has to take off his uniform, get fake identity papers, and go on the run. Hermann Goering is on the run. So the complete Nazi command was in disarray. It was absolute chaos. So uh, the two Nazi commanders at the Baltic, one was a guy named Count George von Basewitz Bear, a mouthful. He was the head Gestapo official. The other one was a guy who functioned as sort of the mayor or governor, if you will, of Hamburg in the region. His name was Karl Kaufmann. Those two guys developed a diabolical plan. Let's load everyone up on the ship, but then let's sink it. Let's scuttle it. And that way we'll destroy all evidence of the Holocaust. We'll kill all these survivors, but we will deny the Allies from getting their hands on the pride of the Third Reich, our beloved Nazi Titanic. Uh, And at the end of World War I, the previous World War, when it was apparent that all was over and the German Navy was being captured and taken to Scapa Flow in Scotland. The Germans, rather than allow the victors to take their ships, what the Germans did was scuttled their own ships. So they planned to scuttle the Nazi Titanic, and that's where the story uh, takes us. Interesting. And also, I think it's true that the, the free French scuttled the French Navy during the war to keep it out of the hands of the Vichy collaborating government. So um, I guess Sure, they wanted to deny the Vichys, yeah. Exactly. Sure, though there's now a lot the, of precedence. Uh, yeah. So you also have the phenomenon toward the end of the war of Nazis such as, um, such as Eichmann and others actually rounding up Jews from concentration camps to, to sell them for money. I mean, this is what was going on in Hungary at the time. There was actually an agent there from Palestine who was trying to make deals to save Jews by buying them. By, uh, uh, this is how several people escaped. I'm wondering if that might not have been a part of this, 
were the people that were put aboard the Ancona, were they, were they uh, Jewish Holocaust prisoners or were they, were they American prisoners, POWs? I mean, who were they also? Good. You you raise a good point. First off, yeah, you're absolutely right in that is um, there were a whole wide array of responses uh, to the Holocaust in the final days, final weeks uh, of, of that terrible period in history. Some concentration camp commandants literally just killed everyone in mass acts of murder. Others took their uniforms off, put on civilian clothes, and ran like hell trying to save their own hides. Uh, you know, there, there were efforts to smuggle people out and save people. The uh, French resistance, an underground partisans fighting against the Nazis uh, were were getting involved. So there were a whole wide array. The people put on the ship at the very end, uh, it's hard to get a number because even though the Nazis were meticulous about their record keeping, in the final days, tens of thousands were marched from any camp not overrun to a camp in northern central Germany called Neuengamme. It's near Hamburg. And it's possible that 100,000 survivors were sent there. Then those are sent north to the Baltic. Some marched by foot, some in barges towed by um, uh, tugboats. Others were stuffed into cars on trains, wagons on trains and mm-hmm. taken there. And tens of thousands arrived, but tens of thousands perished. The uh, folks that were board, put on board the ship were predominantly Jews, but also captured Russian soldiers, suspected Germans of of not being loyal to the Nazis. There were something like two dozen nationalities on board the ship, including French and others. The predominant group were Jews from the Nazi seized territories uh, that were put on Mm -hmm. board the ship. So it was a mix of of all sorts of folks. So at the very end, you could even say, bingo. I mean, wasn't there any uh, awareness on the part of these thousands of people that that this was what was afoot? I mean, you know, and, and if so, was there any resistance? That, Great you know, question. Didn't... So what happens is when they all are brought to Noyangama, some thought they were all just going to be slaughtered there. Others were mm-hmm. saying, well, why would they not just kill us at the original camp? Uh, so the thought among most of them was they don't want us to be grabbed by the Allies. So they want to keep moving us. Now, during this brutal death march and being taken by trains north to the Baltic, what they saw was the obvious scenes that the war was ending. They heard Allied planes flying over. Allied planes right. actually bombed some of the tugboats, some of the ships, some of the folks marching, and there was horrible instances of friendly fire. They also saw that German villages uh, throughout the region were like ghost towns because people had run. So it seems like most folks believe they were being taken to the Baltic. Now, why were they being taken? A lot of them thought they were being taken to the Baltic to avoid uh, falling into the hands of the Allies. The other prevailing view by those that wrote about it, those that survived, was this. There was a Swedish count by the name of Folke Bernadotte, uh, who was a part of the royal family. And Bernadotte was going to camps in the final weeks of the war and trying to rescue as many people as possible. He had cut a deal with Heinrich Himmler. Bernadotte figured correctly that the Nazis would kill everyone in the final days. He also heard a rumor that Himmler was open to negotiate. 
So he set up a series of a couple of clandestine meetings with Himmler. Uh, Folky Bernadotte left a detailed diary and, and memoir about this so we know. And what he did was he told Himmler, I know Eisenhower and I know Montgomery, the American and British leaders. I can therefore be the one who negotiates to save your life. And uh, Bernadotte completely lied. He did not know Eisenhower and Montgomery, but he plays Himmler like a guitar. Himmler takes the bait and releases to him over the course of several meetings, over the course of a few weeks, thousands of survivors, uh, Scandinavians, French, uh, Jews, uh, women uh, from Ravensbrück and elsewhere. So a lot of these survivors had seen Folky Bernadotte show up at the camps with his legendary white buses. He got ambulances uh-huh. and buses painted in white and put the Red Cross on the roof. Uh, so Bernadotte was actually at the coast, the Baltic coast, rescuing people from the ship and from the, the docks at the coast. So a lot of them thought they were going to be put on a ship, taken to Sweden to be rescued by Bernadotte. That's uh, what okay. Bernadotte wanted. But while Bernadotte was negotiating, uh, Adolf Hitler learns that Himmler is cutting a deal. So Hitler sends two assassins to kill Himmler. Himmler then assumes the identity of a police sergeant and changes his name and goes on the run. So Bernadotte is at the Baltic coast as thousands and thousands of prisoners keep arriving every day and keep being jammed aboard, packed aboard this ship, the Nazi Titanic. So Bernadotte has gold, art, treasure. He's bribing uh, the Nazis on the ship and the Nazis at the coast to allow him to take uh, prisoners back. And he actually brought two ships with him, two hospital ships. And he put uh, a a group of about 1,600 folks on the ships and was able to rescue them. So a lot of the people uh, at the coast did not resist because they thought that they were being rescued, and especially when they saw Bernadotte. Bernadotte rushes back to, to Scandinavia to take thousands of prisoners with him, vowing that I'll be back as soon as I get more treasure and money to bribe. However, sadly, while Bernadotte was away, before he could make it back, this is when the ship was mistakenly blown up and thousands and thousands and thousands of people perished in the final moments of the war. Now, when you say the ship was mistakenly blown up, what actually happened? I mean, was it uh, with, did the Allies mistakenly torpedo it, or was the Nazis themselves blew it up? What, or was yeah, it an accident? Good, yeah, it was an accident. So the plan was, with Himmler on the run, and then he ultimately gets captured and commits suicide, um, you have thousands and thousands, we don't even know how many, it's easily tens of thousands of people at the, at the pier, at the, at the port and thousands on board the Nazi Titanic. Um, Now, with Himmler gone, no one knew what to do. So these two Nazi commanders that I mentioned a moment ago, Karl Kaufmann and this Count von Basewitz-Bear, they say, let's put everybody on board the ship and sink it. But let's sink it as soon as peace is ready to be signed. So it'll be a just a horrible, tragic irony and sort of our final way of saying, screw you to the world. So the Nazis planned on scuttling the ship They even fill it with gasoline 
to make it burn better, and that the ship's engines were fried, its turbines were fried. It was unseaworthy. It didn't have water, didn't have food. It was undermanned. There wasn't enough crew. So it wasn't sailing anywhere. It was just anchored as a floating dead hawk. But the, the Nazis filled it with gasoline. Right when the Nazis were ready to scuttle the ship, on May 3rd, 1945, in the final moments of the war, the British overran the coast. Uh, it was a special forces unit. The British 6th Commando uh, uh, came in along with the Scottish 15th, a tank unit, and others. And because the Nazis did not have much in the way of a military there, it wasn't the Wehrmacht, the regular Nazi military. It was what was called the Volkstrom, a couple of older men, some Hitler youth, and a couple of naval cadets so they, the, the British made very quick work of the Nazis before the Nazis could scuttle the ship. As the British were securing the coast and forcing the Nazis and the residents to sign the peace treaty, six squadrons of British bombers, the Royal Air Force, flew in to the coast, and they mistakenly blew up the ship uh, with everybody on board, uh, thinking that it was either... I mean, it didn't look like a warship. It was, a, it was an ocean liner. But they were, mm. they were thinking that it was being used as a troop transport. And one of the rumors that had been circulating in the final weeks of the war was the Nazis would either go somewhere into Austria or they would escape across the Baltic to Norway and dig in for one final last stand. Mm -hmm. And, right. of course, the geographic isolation of Norway, coupled with the cold weather, the mountains and the fjords, would provide a perfect place for a last redoubt, one last stand. And Allied intelligence did, in fact, observe uh, German U-boat subs heading into the fjords in Norway to hide. So uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the Allied uh, intelligence reports and some of the bomber pilots suspected that this massive ocean liner was going to be used to transport German troops to Norway. So they hit it, and they hit it hard, uh, killing right. thousands and thousands and thousands of Holocaust survivors, innocent people, uh, crammed sure. below decks. Those folks never had a chance, as well as, ironically enough, thousands and thousands on the deck. So one of the criticisms of the British Royal Air Force is um, – you could obviously tell the difference between, A, uh, the Nazi Kriegmarine, the German Navy shooting back at you, and, B, an ocean liner that didn't fire a shot with thousands of skeletal-like people in striped uniforms on, on board the deck. But yet the British hit it. They hit it hard and killed thousands in what is history's worst example of friendly fire and arguably one of the most tragic maritime disasters and world history. Yeah, I mean, I think you make that case very well. The, um, I mean, is there any evidence that the uh, <clears throat> the pilots that that did hit the plane that they had visual contact with the uh, with the ship and that they saw what was going on there? Yes, there was. Uh, Count Folke Bernadotte, the Swedish uh, uh, diplomat and head of the Red Cross, uh, the day before the incident occurred he had taken uh, a large group of folks uh, back to Scandinavia to freedom. He contacted uh, the British Bomber Command and notified them that this ship was being filled mm -hmm. with concentration camp prisoners, not German soldiers. Now, the problem is the British 
command, uh, it's bomber command has better intelligence. Obviously, you're up in the air, you need to have targeting, and you need intelligence for what you're bombing. Fighter command does not have as good of intel. Fighter command are, you know, younger jocks who go in and they hit it hard. Unfortunately, in a bureaucratic snafu, rather than having bomber command in charge of liberating that part of the Baltic, the British Royal Air Force put fighter command in charge. Uh So Bernadette contacted bomber command, not fighter command. Now, the handful of survivors from this tragedy, they wrote, some of them wrote that they could see the pilots whizzing by them in the cockpit because these planes came down low to release 60-pound rockets or to use heavy machine guns to, to uh, strafe the survivors. So they recall seeing the cockpit, I mean, the pilot in the cockpit. The, the, uh, the other thing was the pilots also hit the uh, port where there were thousands of more people in the port, and surely you could tell the difference between thousands of nearly dead survivors versus you know, the German Air uh, Navy or the German military. One of the pilots that hit the uh, site was a Frenchman named Pierre Klosterman. He was flying with the Free French Forces, and he was assigned to that unit. He, in a memoir, uh, almost indicated that he knew what was happening. He didn't specifically say so, but what he said was uh, the, a day or two before, he said, I was flying near Kiel, which is just a bit up the coast, another Uh German city. And he said, the bomber pilot to the left of me, the bomber pilot to the right of me were blown out of the sky by German anti-aircraft guns and flak. He said that the plane I was flying that day, I hit my plane. It was a typhoon uh, bomber. He said, my typhoon bomber had a hole in the tail large enough to kick a a soccer ball through it. Of course, he said football. We would say soccer ball. And he said, we were supposed to be flying eight planes, but we had so few pilots and planes left, we were flying six in our squadron. So what he said was, I came in to the coast, and he said, I went in hard, and I didn't give a damn who was there, what was there. I was going to kill everything I could along the Baltic. And he he let loose everything he had in the plane and then flew back. So that was... That was his word, so it's that was it makes answer. this whole I mean, thing complicated. Yeah, it seems that the the Royal Air Force also operated with a rather heavy hand toward the last months of the war. Let's not forget that they were responsible for the Dresden bombing. Absolutely, Bomber you're right. Was the British, and I think that yep. the uh, the justification for that was a little bit more plausible in that they felt that they had to do an extreme scorched earth event to really break the will and break the back of the Nazis. Otherwise, they might, as you say, have a readout in either Austria or Norway. But at this point, this was already, was Hitler was already dead at that point. Um, he was dead four days. Out. Yep, four days. Yeah, so, I mean, the war was clearly over and everyone knew it. Uh, did, did Admiral Karl Dernitz have anything to do with uh, this at all? Because he was actually Hitler's heir and he headed a government in that region for the next month or so. I think yeah you're yes correct and he did and you're spot on uh with everything uh you know Dresden and a scorched earth policy even in April um uh, Winston Churchill uh has this famous decree where he says maybe we need to pull back in this firebombing of 
cities and civilian targets. So Churchill even realizes they had maybe gone a little too far. Uh, Admiral Karl Dönitz was one of the few top Nazi commanders still functioning. He did have a somewhat of a Navy. He had several U-boats. He was given command of military personnel to try to make something of this. What he had done is he wanted these ships, like the giant Cap Arcona, this big ocean line of the Nazi Titanic, he wanted them all under control of the Kriegsmarine. Now, interestingly, the company that owned it, Hamburg South America, or Hamburg Sud, S-U-D, they're still in business, they wanted the ship back. They didn't want all their assets gone for whatever post-war economy might exist. Uh, there were uh, the equivalent of merchant marine uh, units that wanted control of the ship. So what you had in the final days was competing layers of Nazi command fighting for control of the ship. Um, and Dunitz wanted control, but he was up to his ears in other matters. Right. So he didn't have any direct responsibility. What happened was the shipping company said, we want the ship. We don't want it in forward lines. Leave it at the coast. Leave it anchored so that we can have it after the war. But the uh, the two Nazi commanders I mentioned at the coast, they overruled the shipping company and said, we have control of it, and it's going to be used to be scuttled to kill all these uh, survivors. So, you know, the, as you well know, uh, the last week of the war, if not the last several weeks of the war, uh, were absolute moments of chaos. Uh, sure, as the sure. Red Army was rushing in, as the Americans were rushing toward Berlin, as some German units were surrendering, others were fighting to the very last bitter moment, mm-hmm. and uh, the communications were, were not getting through. And, um, if, and then you had thousands and thousands of people sitting literally at the coast and just crammed below decks in the ship dying by day. There was no food, no medicine, no water. And in fact, the count, the Swedish count uh, that I've been describing when he arrived at the coast, Count Bernadotte, he said that he could smell it before he saw it because what happened was some of the trains that the Nazis brought to uh, the coast. They went to Lubeck Bay near the town of Neustadt, north central Germany. What they did is when the trains arrived with cars filled with Holocaust prisoners, the Nazis, as soon as they stopped the trains, they took off the uniforms, put on civilian clothes, and ran like hell. They never unlocked the cars. So Bernadotte finds hundreds of people dead in all these cars, uh, which was just, you know, unimaginable. And... um, so it was just it was one of those chaotic moments. Uh, so Admiral Dunitz, you know, and also in you know, was a player, but the, not a major player. In defense of the British position, I suppose. I mean, on the one hand, the ship was near the port of Kiel. I, I think, as you say, that being the Cap Arcona, and it. that was the that was the major German uh, naval port in in the Baltic. It was a, a place of a center of of, of German military power that the Germans had been firing U-2 rockets at Great Britain right up until the last months of the war, and that there were rumors that the Germans were about to launch major high-tech weapons in that region. Hitler looked at that as his last gasp hope to to save Germany was uh, to to launch, not nuclear, because he viewed that as a Jewish science, but they had other things. They had the Foo Fighters, they had all these other things they were developing, And they were promising to put them online as soon as possible. So the Allies might not have known, or they might have assumed that the ship could have been a part of something like that. 
Uh, you know, they could right. have been a, a preparation because they had no way of knowing, or did they know? Well, you do say they did know, but at least in some well, parts of the bureaucracy, what happened was that, that no, I think what I, was going on there. I think again, you're 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 spot on, Chuck. But what what had happened was Bomber Command was notified. Now we don't know, and I was not able to find out. We don't know who failed to pass that information along in the line of bureaucracy uh, during those final crazy moments. But yeah, the, the ship was not the Lubick Bay is not too far from Kiel, and the area Neustadt where it was, there was a small naval base nearby, and there was a technology center. So there was some high-tech weapons research going on in the area. Moreover, uh, in the days leading up to this, the uh, bombers that were cleaning up everything along the coast, they daily were were under fire from German anti-aircraft. The Uh day that they hit and sunk May 3rd at 2.30 p.m., the afternoon that they hit the ship, Uh, It was very, very heavy cloud cover. It was raining, and the clouds were so heavy that the bombers had to drop down to a low elevation to come in for their attack, and that low elevation put them at direct risk of anti-aircraft. So knowing that Uh there was a height, seeing a lot of people at the port and knowing that there was a naval base nearby, I'm sure they came down out of the clouds, guns blazing. The other thing, I guess, in defense of the British is that they had lost so many pilots and so many planes. They were not at full strength, as I mentioned a moment ago. And a lot of these pilots were 20 years old. Uh, They were brand-new pilots being rushed through training, shoved into a cockpit. And the planes that they were flying, these typhoons, these are not giant bombers like a Lancaster or our B-17 or B-24, but they're not small, maneuverable fighters that can do pinpoint accuracy like the British Spitfire or our Mustang. It's sort of a hybrid plane. A typhoon is a little bigger than a fighter, a little smaller than a bomber. So some of these guys were not... Uh, they had been taken All from right, other Robert, planes. So, uh, sorry to interrupt, but we, we reached toward the end of the program. Briefly, the book okay. is The Nazi Titanic, uh, available in all major bookstores, available at Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Watson, great conversation. I want to thank you for joining me. I'd like to do another program soon, maybe on another others of your books and articles. Thank you so much, Robert. It was my pleasure. I'd love to do it again. Thank you, Chuck. All right. Take care. All right, so that wraps things up today on Chuck Moore Speaks. Of course, you can check out my books. They're available at Amazon.com. Not to get in a plug there, but so be it. And thanks, everyone, for joining me. Talk to you soon. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Today, Bridget Griffin shared a video of her daily yoga routine, two self-help articles, and her new blog called Build Your Inner Bridge with Bridge. Girl, your sharing has turned into oversharing. No worries, Bridge. Geico has some info worth sharing with your seven blog followers, like how you could save money on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim just by visiting geico.com. How's that for building your inner bridge? Bridge, Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.